0: This is Midday Magazine for Thursday, June 15th, and I'm Shelby Herbert. Many municipalities and schools in Alaska are facing record high property insurance rates for the year ahead. As KFSK's Thomas Copeland reports, climate-driven catastrophes across the U.S. are driving up prices in Alaska.
1: Clerk call the roll. This was the moment it happened.
2: Bob. Yes. David.
1: A last-second amendment to the Petersburg Borough's 2024 budget.
2: Scott. Yes.
1: The amendment passed unanimously after just about two minutes of discussion during last week's assembly meeting. An additional $50,000 for property insurance. Borough manager Steve Giesbreck says it's the biggest rate increase he's ever seen. We
3: basically budgeted for a 10% increase. We ended up with over a 30% increase. It's the highest we've seen year over year, for sure. And we don't really know when it's going to end.
1: Petersburg schools are dealing with a similar problem. Their property insurance is likely to rise by more than 50% for the upcoming fiscal year. Like a lot of small and medium public entities in Alaska, Petersburg borough and school districts get their coverage through an insurance pool. Both belong to a pool called Alaska Public Entity Insurance, or APEI. Barbara Thurston is the director of APEI. Like Giesbrek, she says this year's rates are an all-time career high.
2: I've been of APEI for more than 13 years, and the 30% rate increase we're seeing this year is the largest by a significant amount.
1: Thurston says that there are two main reasons for the record high rates of property insurance this year. The first is inflation, the cost of labour, materials and fuel all going up. And the second reason climate-driven catastrophes.
2: There's been some significant hurricanes both in Florida and some other states that cause a substantial amount of damage. There's been freezes in Texas which are relatively unheard of but were very expensive and there's been a lot of wildfires.
1: Insurance pools like APEI buy their own reinsurance from national or global insurers like AIG or Lloyd's of London. As climate-driven disasters become more frequent across the U.S., the big insurers have to foot the bill. Dr. Rachel Cletus is the policy director at the Union of Concerned Scientists.
2: The rising insurance rates are a canary in a coal mine for climate change. What they're pointing out is many places are now becoming so highly exposed to climate risk that insurance is becoming unaffordable or unavailable.
1: In the past five years, insured losses from these catastrophes have averaged about a $100 billion globally. And nearly three quarters of those losses occurred in North America. Cletus says that big insurers basically have two options. Jack up their prices
2: or abandon ship. Recent news that State Farm and Allstate were going to stop offering new homeowner insurance policies in California are very much related to the increase in catastrophic wildfire seasons.
1: But according to Cletus, it's not just Californian homeowners who need to be worried.
2: Public entities also purchase insurance t- to protect uh, the value of infrastructure, of, of major uh, buildings, etc. And if insurance rates go up in these cases, ultimately it's the taxpayer that's on the hook for these higher rates.
1: And these catastrophes aren't some faraway problem for Alaskans. Landslides and flooding could be on the rise in southeast. Aaron Jacobs is a hydrologist with NOAA.
3: We are seeing temperature and precipitation um Increase throughout these 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years on the climate record and extreme precipitation are the triggering events that can uh, increase risk for landslides and flooding.
1: Insurance companies are now looking to experts like Jacobs to help them predict future catastrophes. Last month, NOAA teamed up with the National Science Foundation to launch a new research centre that will provide the insurance industry with climate change data. And back in Petersburg, Borough manager Steve Giesbreck says he wants to be prepared too.
3: I think this is a new era and the cost of property insurance. We're going to have to factor that in every year and take that into account when we set those numbers in our budget. The fiscal year
1: for Alaskan public entities like Petersburg Borough and School District kicks off on July 1st. But high rates of property insurance could last for years to come. In Petersburg, I'm Thomas Copeland.
0: A 43-year-old man died while in custody at the Ketchikan Correctional Center earlier this week. One day after being arrested, Alaska state troopers say that Landon Morgan had been arrested on Saturday for driving under the influence and refusing to take a sobriety test. The next night, troopers arrived at the jail after receiving word of a de- deceased incarcerated person. Troopers say that jail staff found Morgan unresponsive just past 6 days p.m. correctional officers and ems personnel tried life-saving measures but declared him dead around 6 30 p.m. the troopers dispatch says that there were no signs of foul play and the initial investigation pointed to a medical issue Trooper spokesperson austin mcdaniel wrote to krbd it could take weeks for the results of the autopsy to come back Betsy Hawley, a spokesperson for the state's Department of Corrections, told KRBD that Morgan received a standard medical evaluation when he arrived at the jail. A team of researchers have been combing the waters around Prince of Wales Island, looking for evidence that could shed more light on how long indigenous people have lived on this land. As Reagan Miller reports, an underwater robot powered by AI has a key role.
4: After the discovery of an ancient fish trap last year, scientists were able to place indigenous people near Prince of Wales Island around 11,000 years ago. Now, more research is being done to see if they can push that time back even further. Kelly Monteleone is a lead researcher with the crew.
5: And we're really hoping that we can find evidence going back you know, thousands and thousands of years more um, to get people on this continental shelf 16, maybe even 20,000 years ago.
4: She explains that the people who lived along that shelf tens of thousands of years ago are likely ancestors to modern-day residents. We're
5: hoping to find caves, and then we know that because of changing in sediments, we're not necessarily going to find things on the surface in caves. So we're trying to take a number of uh, sediment samples.
4: The samples will then be searched for something called micro-debitage. It's a big word for something that's actually really small.
5: So Every time somebody sharpens or uses a stone tool, little itty bitty flakes uh, uh, come off, sometimes uh, you know less than one millimeter in size. And we can find those uh, in the sediment samples if people were using uh, tools in the cave.
4: The sediment will undergo a variety of tests.
5: We're also going to be um, analyzing uh, the sediments for environmental factors. And so we'll radiocarbon date and we're going to get pollen and something called uh, dinoflagellite cysts which are little microscopic organisms that tell us about the water call um, at the time the sedimentation happened.
4: But there's one catch. The caves are now underwater. Monteleone says they would have been above water around 10,000 years ago when sea levels were about 165 meters lower than what they are now. So the team is using an underwater robot powered by AI called Sunfish. Christoph Richmond is the co-principal investigator involved on the robotic side of the project. He says the robot is going to explore areas that humans pointed out last year.
6: Um, And it does very uh, precise mapping using sonar and cameras um, and can actually navigate into caves uh, autonomously. So it's able to explore really complex underwater features and map them out. Um, And so we're using that tool to uh, help us uh, really identify with precision what kind of... um, you know, we saw in this high-level overview.
4: The team also held public events with the robot over the weekend in Craig and Klawak.
6: This is just, for us, a real exciting uh, opportunity to demonstrate uh, AI and autonomous functions, uh, you know, to get to places where people can't and learn lots about um, our environment, where we come from, um, and, you know, get into uh, unexplored territory and just push the boundaries of uh, human knowledge.
4: It will take another year or so to come through what the team finds, but they hope it will lead to even more research about the history of people living in Southeast Alaska. In Ketchikan, I'm Regan Miller.
0: Senator Lisa Murkowski reintroduced a bill and shared support for another aimed at supporting coastal communities last week. As Brian Venwa reports from Kodiak, the legislation is aimed at investing in research and local economies.
3: Murkowski is bringing back the Ocean Regional Opportunity and Innovation Act. The bill would designate ocean innovation clusters for the U.S. Department of Commerce. Each so-called cluster would become a hub to support marine industries. On a call with reporters on Thursday, Murkowski said she learned about the idea of clusters about a decade ago on a trip to Iceland and saw how it could benefit Alaska.
5: Ocean ROI establishes regional ocean clusters, facilitate levels of of discussion and participation between different stakeholders. It effectively takes public, private and academic within a geographic region looking to promote economic growth and sustainability.
2: The
3: department would also be able to award grants to establish or fund each cluster. She says her goal with the legislation is to improve communication and collaboration between fishers, researchers and artists who make their living from Alaska's coastal economy. Murkowski also shared her support for the Coastal Communities Ocean Acidification Act. The bill would streamline communication between federal agencies and state, local, and tribal entities that are most affected by climate change. Murkowski says she wants to improve the information exchange between government agencies to enhance research into ocean acidification.
5: This is really a research-focused approach to ensuring that our oceans remain healthy uh, for generations to come. We're seeing the impacts of climate change. We're seeing the impacts from um, increased acidification within our oceans.
3: Murkowski says both bills have been introduced in previous congressional sessions. However, she hopes they'll be passed alongside other climate-related bills as a package this time. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Van
0: a thousand people gathered at Auckland Bay in Juneau last Saturday to welcome the Hakulea and her crew to Juneau. Now the crew is preparing to embark, bark, embark on a four-year journey around the world.
7: People on the shore heard the sounding of the conch as the twin-hulled wind-powered voyaging canoe approached. Formland painted yachts brought the canoe to shore as dancers performed in cedar hats and chilcat robes. Akquan leaders welcomed the canoe to their homeland. Elder Fran Houston said the four year journey will be special and good for the communities it touches.
2: It means a whole lot, a whole lot to everybody. The, the connection is powerful. Everything right now is powerful. And uh, I, I'm just real happy and just tickled pink. <laughs>
7: The crew of the Hokulea and their southeast navigators lined the beach, facing the Xingit elders who came to greet them. Houston led a song she learned from her grandmother to the visitors.
2: It's with love, and I love singing it. And I'm surprised that I sang both verses twice. <laughs> so, Gunachish, I'd like to say, you're welcome Sure, and I'm happy that you're here.
7: The crew, some dressed in t shirts and hats, others in lave and malo, return the welcome with their own songs and chants. Kulea was returning from a voyage to Yakutat and other Southeast communities. On Thursday, the crew will begin a more than 40,000 mile journey called Moana Nuakea with the goal to learn about land stewardship and unity from indigenous communities around the world. Nainoa Thompson, president of the Polynesian Voyaging Society, spoke to the crowd about that history and about the Voyaging Society's relationship with Southeast Alaska's indigenous communities who gifted the Society two spruce trees in the 1990s to build another canoe.
2: I have the impossible task of kind of thanking everybody for not just making this day happen, but the whole journey through Southeast Alaska. That will take two months and about 1,200 miles.
7: Chris Blake is a part of the crew that traveled to Yakutat. Back home in Oahu, he teaches traditional, non-instrumental navigation and wayfinding.
1: It was a a beautiful, it's a 30-hour journey. Uh, being on the inland areas and then when we got out to the ocean, it's definitely a lot colder than we were used to. Um, but the the amount of things that we're seeing and, and the unfamiliarity with it, uh, we were a lot of elders and people who were much more familiar with the area were there to guide us.
7: Blake said he was energized by the navigation and voyaging skills shared by the indigenous Hawaiians and Southeast Alaska Natives.
1: You know, it was such great to see the... Um, the abilities that we have and how they parallel a lot of the experts who are familiar with these areas and how you know although we're not necessarily truly related but how a lot of our similarities are able to help us and to drive us into the things that we have to do um, got us to our destination
7: blake hopes he can be chosen to continue to participate in the moana new Achaia voyage as it circles the earth in juno i'm yvonne Cromery.
0: The Hakulea will set off on its voyage around the world this afternoon from Auk Bay. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert.